all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family. From mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions, whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we are going to be discussing breastfeeding. It is a topic that not a lot of people talk about, um, but in the pediatric world, it is a very important topic. And I feel like more and more of it has come up here lately with this formula shortage that we had here recently because a lot of people were having to rely on breastfeeding. And um, the AAP actually came out with a stance on that too to continue to encourage breastfeeding. So it's kind of been in the headlines a little bit. And um, it's a topic that I think is very important and wanted to talk about that. So I asked my friend Marcy to come on with us today. Um, So we have Marcy Talbot on with us. She is a registered dietitian and a board-certified lactation consultant. And so she's going to be helping us talk about breastfeeding because this is what she does all day, every day, and she's an expert on it. So um, I'm thankful that she is here with us today. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. So send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Marcy. Thanks for coming on today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about, one, your background um, with what you do as a lactation consultant and kind of a little bit of the training that goes into that. Because I'll be honest, as a pediatrician, we get no training in breastfeeding. Um, They don't really teach us much. They tell us that that's what you want your moms to do for their babies, but they don't teach us how anything about breastfeeding. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your training and how you became a lactation consultant. Yeah. So like you said, I'm also a registered dietitian. So with that, you have to do um, an internship after your bachelor's degree and um, get so many hours and then take a test. Um, and then after that, I honestly kind of stumbled into lactation. Um, my first job was um, working with moms and babies, and that was something that would kind of further my career or make me more um, able to do what I was doing much, much better. Um, so um, with in order to become a board-certified lactation consultant, I believe at the time you had to have a 1,000 practice hours, and so someone had to sign off on those. Um, we also have to sit for a test. Um, in the past, it was every 10 years. Um, this past year was actually my 10th year, so I had to take it again. 
and starting this year, you no longer have to do that. Uh, so, of course. <laughs> yeah. So that happens. Um, but um, it's, it's a pretty rigorous um, process, honestly. I, I, honestly, when I started, I didn't realize it was quite so rigorous. So um, um, it's definitely taught me a lot um, through just everyday work, but then also through research and, you know, physiology, all that sort of thing as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Breastfeeding in general is a very rigorous process. <laughs> so I can only imagine uh, what it's like to get trained to be able to help women that can that can do this because it's definitely, you know, people think that it should be a natural process. And for some people it is. And kudos to those people that don't have a hard time with it. Um, but for a lot of women out there, it can be kind of daunting. Um because, again, there's not a lot of information about it. You don't even get a lot of information from your pediatrician about it. Um, so, you know, it can be something that can be tough. So we are very thankful for our lactation consultants. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. I, I was just say, yeah, I work in, like, an inpatient setting as well. So exactly what you're saying. Um, a lot of times moms kind of come in overwhelmed, not sure what to expect. And it's hard for us to tell them exactly what to expect because each – breastfeeding journey can be completely different um even a mother's first child or second or third or fourth um a lot of times even when they've come in not with their first baby it's, it's so different so it um it's never a kind of a straight line process it seems yeah I mean I can share my own experience um when I had my first child last year you know going into it I'm like well I'm a pediatrician i I'm going to be able to do this, you know, like I know what you're supposed to do. I've, I've helped some moms, you know, granted, I don't have a ton of training, but just from some of the stuff I've learned from, from people ahead of me. And I just, I just thought, oh, this is going to be easy. This is not going to be a big deal. Um, pretty sure I saw the lactation consultant about four times. (laughs) It humbles you pretty quickly, I believe. (laughs) In the hospital, when I went back for my checkups, um, and then even after that, I went and saw, we have a couple of lactation specialists out in town, and that we're going to, we'll talk about that too, but um, even made a couple appointments to go see her out in town a few times. So um, it's definitely not something that just always comes natural to everybody, and I think that's part of the reason I wanted to do this show, because it is it's such an important topic, because we do recommend breastfeeding if you can, but I also want to get it out there that it's it's not always the easiest thing, and how hopefully we can combat some of that, how we can try to intervene so that we can have more breastfeeding moms out there, right. um, and let people have realistic expectations, and know the resources, because... I mean, even as a pediatrician, Marcy's already told me some new resources that I didn't even know were available. So, mm-hmm. so let's um, talk a little bit about what are some of the benefits of breastfeeding? Or I guess let's break it down with, like, what is in breast milk that makes it so good for the babies? Like, why do they get such benefits out of that? Right. So um, a lot of formula companies, when they're trying to promote their formula, will say the closest to breast milk. And that's... Um, like a marketing thing. So we're not really sure everything that's in breast milk. So a lot of things are not measured. Um, But um, one thing for sure that is in breast milk that's most likely not in formula is going to be like your antivirus um, components, your different enzymes, some growth factors. Um, I actually just learned about this not too long ago. Hamlet um, is like an anti-cancer component in breast milk. So there's been a lot of research with that as far as... um, some some different cancer treatments as well, and they've actually found that in in breast milk. Um, and I think 
obviously as technology improves, we're finding more and more things. But there there are a, a lot of different things in breast milk that actually can't even be measured. Um, for example, um, cold and flu season, I guess, this year. It seems like it came quickly, um, but moms can um, actually make those antibodies in her breast milk. So if she's around someone sick, she can pass those to her baby through her breast milk, and, and um, that can help protect baby against some of those. Yeah, we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the flu shot and just how important it is to get your flu shot mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you're pregnant because it can pass through the placenta, the antibodies can. But the same thing is, is if you're breastfeeding and your child is still getting breast milk, you can pass that on, mm-hmm. um, especially if your child is under six months and can't get the flu shot, you can pass on those antibodies through the breast milk. That right. is one thing that crosses into the breast milk that mm-hmm. we know gives them protection. Yeah. And same thing with the COVID vaccine, too. Um, that's another, any of the vaccinations that you get, the antibodies will cross over into the, right. to the breast milk. And that is one question we get a lot. Like if a mom is sick, do I need to continue breastfeeding or should I stop and stay away from the baby? And honestly, if now we're all more comfortable wearing masks. If you want to wear a mask, that's fine. But we still really encourage continuing to breastfeed to provide those antibodies. Yeah, I know. That was a big topic when COVID first started mm-hmm. because yeah. it was like, what? I mean, you know, we didn't know anything about right. COVID. Yes. Things have changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, um, but it was like, all, like moms were calling us, like, what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we kind of all just treated it like any other virus and said it's okay to continue breastfeeding. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Benefits outweigh the risks, basically, of mm-hmm. what breast milk can provide. Yeah. So pretty much anybody with really any illness can continue to breastfeed as long as they feel comfortable. I would think probably if you are getting cancer treatments with Mm -hmm. chemotherapy that's probably depending on what medicine that's probably one but even patients with hiv and hepatitis c i mean they can still well depending on their treatment plans yeah let me me rephrase that depending on their treatment plans but for the most part even patients with those types of illnesses are still able to breastfeed so um just touching on that hiv in the u.s is not recommended but other countries it is where they have such they cannot get access to healthy foods for babies. Right. So, um, but yeah, some hepatitis C definitely can still breastfeed. So all kinds of different um, things that people wouldn't think they still could. There's things to look out for, and we can educate people on that. But yeah, you're you're right. It just depends on the treatment. Some medicines definitely um, you shouldn't breastfeed with, but it's very few and it's very um, specific, I guess. Yeah. A certain treatment. So it's got antibodies. What are some other, any other big things that you could think of that are in the breast milk that yeah. can be beneficial to the baby? So it can um, definitely really help with their intestines. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot easier to digest than formula. Um, there's different um, proteins that are found in um, breast milk that are not found in formula. Um, the way that it's so gentle on a baby's intestinal tract um sometimes if a baby's been breastfed for a while then formula is introduced they can have some gastrointestinal issues right after so that shows that um there are some some things in formula that aren't in breast milk as well that may not be quite as good for baby um there's some different um enzymes found in breast milk so all kinds of, of different things that can help promote um healthy um infant not only now but can promote different things later in life as well as as far as health and preventing against different things later in life as well yeah 
So we're going to get a little bit into some more of the benefits for baby, and there's benefits for mom as well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to talk some, too, about, well, if it's so great, why doesn't everybody do it? And so what are some of the things that keep people from breastfeeding and how we hopefully can give you some tips out there that you can pass on for yourself or to other family members, friends who may be going through this battle, too. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about breastfeeding. We have Marcy Talbot on with us, who is a board-certified lactation consultant as well as a registered dietitian. And she works in the NICU at UMC and as well as the postpartum floor, too. And she helps breastfeeding moms and how to make the decision to breastfeed and how to combat some of the problems that arise with breastfeeding. And so that's what we're talking about today. Um, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So we were talking before the break about some of the benefits, um, some of the components of breast milk that can be good for babies, um, just like formula. Um, it has all the, but it has natural proteins, fats, sugars, everything that normally we would see in the in the infant milk that they need. Uh, but it also has some different factors in it that help promote their immune system, um, that help protect their digestive system, um, and different things. Uh, we were talking about how antibodies, if you as a mom get sick or you get a vaccination, those antibodies to the the virus or the bacteria, whatever it may be, um, pass on into the breast milk as protection for the infant. Um, so lots of great things that are components of breast milk. There's lots of benefits from that, from from. Um, all the different components. We talked some about how uh, Marcy talked about how their their stomachs tend to tolerate it a little bit better. And you'll notice, too, if parents have to supplement with formulas, a lot of times they have to get own, not they're not special formulas, but some of the ones like Genelese or Similac Sensitive um, that just have the formula broken down a little bit more because the baby's tummies are so used to breast milk. Um, so we know that that is a, a factor. Uh, we also know that they have decreased infections, um, not just like infections like we were talking about earlier. This is more of like they have decreased ear infections. Right. They have decreased stomach infections. Um, we see that happen a lot with babies. They have decreased risk for infections. Um, and then, like Marcy said, there's even some components that can last later in life that we don't even we don't even know of all the benefits for these babies that are breastfed for six to nine months I mean six months to a year mm -hmm. like what they could potentially have gained from that even on down the road mm -hmm. um yeah you just you talked about the one with cancer right. like I haven't I haven't heard of that either right. so um so lots and lots of benefits for the baby and let's talk some about benefits for the mom, too, because there are lots of benefits to the mom. Um, yes, mostly for the baby, but the mom also gets a little bit of benefits from right. it. But we've got a couple of callers on the line, so we'll go first to Roger. Good morning, Roger. What's going on? Good morning. I'm a loyal listener, as you as you know. I, I have a question about what we used, I think I used to call nursemaids, literally uh, women who would retain, maybe after they had a pregnancy, uh, the milk and serve as nursemaids 
And I'm wondering about currently with the emphasis, the wonderful healthy emphasis on breastfeeding, if there's anything available out there. Are there any organizations or are there groups or are there because it seems to me that some women could could make a wonderful contribution and a living. A living as a nursemaid. What do you know about that? And what would be the contraindication? What what would be the, the down is there any uh disadvantage in that. Yeah, well, Roger, thanks for being a dedicated listener. Number one, we appreciate that. And there actually is a milk bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll let Marcy tell a little bit more about that because working in the NICU, she has to work with the milk bank a lot. So I'll let her take over. Um, right. So um, there is actually um, donor milk that is available for babies that are in the hospital whose moms are not able to provide milk for them. Um, the, this milk is tested. Um, it goes through a different process. They um, look at the different calories and protein components in the milk, um, and that is given to to babies based on um, their needs. Um, in the past, the hospital I worked at, we actually had to order it from Texas every two weeks, and so that was very expensive. Um, but recently, like um, you just mentioned, there is one in Mississippi. It's the Mississippi um, Mother's Milk Bank. Um, It's right here in the Flowood area, um, but they provide um, donor milk to a lot of area hospitals. Um, As far as milk sharing goes, um, that is not something that we, um, we're not against it, but it's not something we really promote because you just never know exactly about a mom's maybe history or exactly um, I don't know how to put it exactly what she may, maybe it is um, med- medicines, for example, or other components. Um, so um, that, that is something that does happen um, as, as a healthcare professional. I'm not sure that I would exactly promote it or, or that sort of thing. But um, the, the milk banking process is great for the most fragile, you know, infants. Um, and those moms are donating just as if like a blood donation so they are donating they have to uh, meet certain requirements they have to bring so much in and then that milk bank does process it and um, area hospitals purchase that for these um, very premature very sick infants you have to I'm pretty sure because I've signed off on forms that in order to donate the milk a doctor has to sign off that you're healthy enough and that the, you don't take any medicines or certain medicines that you take. Because so, I've had to sign off on it a couple of times right. for some of my patients. So, um, Yeah, I think they have to have blood work done. I can't remember the whole process. Yeah, I mean, it's to. it's definitely a process. Mm-hmm. So so the option is out there. Like she said, not necessarily nursemaids that we, that we think about right. yeah. in the past, but there are definitely options out there for people to donate their milk. And it goes to a great cause mm-hmm. because most of these are going to be used for little babies who are in the NICU. Right. Um, which breast milk is ideal for our NICU babies. And if you don't know the NICU, it's the neonatal intensive care unit. So this is where our very premature babies go um, once they're born. And like we had talked about, breast milk is so gentle on their stomachs, that's going to be the most ideal nutrition for these babies when we are able to start feeding them formula, uh, when we're able to start feeding them milk. Um, Breast milk is going to be the most ideal. So Thanks for bringing that up, Roger, because I don't think a lot of people know about right. that milk bank, and it's definitely, definitely important thing. It's met a need here in this area for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question, Roger? No. Well, <laughs> not totally. Why isn't there an industry? Why isn't there a proved process 
for being certified, meaning you go through the doctor's tests and all, and recertification for providing breast milk. There are women out there who could do this, and why doesn't why don't doctors encourage that? I think it's probably more like this day and age, just legal stuff. More honestly, if I had to, to be honest, I think it's probably just more legal stuff that it kind of goes back to and having a having a specific organization for donation like the milk bank is, is going to be the safest way to do it. Um, and also the most legally safe for hospitals and organizations to use. Thanks for your call though. We'll go next to Dan in Yazoo city. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm going to give the, uh, input of a man here. First, I want to thank Marcy uh, for what she does. It's, uh, so many people don't realize that uh, lactation specialists uh, do so much and what they provide, and, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing for new mothers. Uh, from a man's perspective, you wouldn't think you'd have a whole lot to say about uh, lactation, but uh, I had uh, experiences with that when my first child was born and my subsequent two children were born, and uh, my wife had... Um, fears and apprehensions when um, it came to breastfeeding for the first time. And since then, uh, a number of my friends have expressed that their wives experienced the same thing and, uh, and their children's uh, babies, uh, the experiences that their children had nursing their babies. And so it just, I'm glad y'all are addressing that because I think a lot of women uh, just uh, when it comes time for that to happen and maybe the milk doesn't naturally flow, they, they get uh, a little bit anxious. And uh, you couple that with postpartum depression, you know, it could lead to some um, serious um, depression. Uh, I, just, I just think that it's great that a, a lactation specialist can come in and hold their hands and walk them through this and explain to them that, uh, as you said earlier, it, it's not always easy for everyone. I mean, I know that's God's way of uh, providing for infants, and it has worked uh, from time immemorial. But still, in this day and age, a lot of people have uh, apprehensions and fears about doing that and just say, well, I've got to fall back onto um, the formula here. And uh, I, I'm listening to all the benefits and, and know well that there are so many, but I think mentally uh, it's a wonderful thing for the mother to bond with the child and to um, have someone like Marcy come in and say, okay, let's just go about this and keep them um, encouraged through the process. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. And you kind of hit on what our next topic is going to be. Uh, why don't people do it? And what are some of those apprehensions about it? And postpartum depression is a big player in that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But thank you for calling and sharing your story. We appreciate it. And people like you supporting moms are just as important. So yes. they, they need that support. So don't cut yourself short with that. Yeah. Yes, very true. Okay, love the show. Thank you. And we'll go next to Lauren. Good morning, Lauren. Hi, um, I'm Lauren, and um, I had done some reading in the past um, about breast milk and heard that it's actually fairly high in cholesterol, 
but that was good for baby because um, cholesterol goes into um, building parts of the brain or something, um, like the myelin sheath or something, and then also that um, that extra cholesterol as a baby means that when you're an adult, you um, metabolize cholesterol better and um, don't tend to have as many problems with cholesterol as an adult. Yes, so cholesterol is very important in brain building. Um, Actually, sometimes when we have moms on uh, medications that lower their cholesterol, we tend to say, like, that needs to be monitored in the baby or um, maybe suggest a, a different medication that may not affect the breast milk component as much so so you're exactly right um it's we tend to think of cholesterol as a bad thing and it it is and in too much and in adults but in babies it's it's definitely needed for um brain development so you're exactly right is that that myelination you were talking about that's what helps like coat the the nerve connections in the brain i guess is kind of a way to describe it um and because you know babies are just like little sponges soaking everything in learning new stuff every day so their brain is constantly making all these neuro connections and what helps make that myelination i mean what helps speed that along and make those connections is the myelination and so you need those fatty components and the cholesterol components to help with that so you brought up a great topic, Lauren. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah. And great show. Yeah, thanks Very for that. And you'll actually see that in some of the um, formulas, too. They say mm-hmm. that, like, um, when it says, like, promotes brain development, mm-hmm. that's essentially what they're talking about is um, the fatty components to the breast milk. Um, I mean, excuse me, to the formula that they're trying to emulate from breast milk to help with some of those connections and the myelination to help with all the different neural connections that babies are making as they're developing. Mm -hmm. So that's a great question. Thank you. I will go next to Kat. Good morning, Kat. What's going on? Good morning. Um, Many things I'm currently pumping now. Um. (laughs) Good deal. (laughs) Multitasking. so I have a question in regards to um, becoming a lactation consultant, or I don't know if that terminology is correct. Um, I've told my husband that, that I'm really passionate about encouraging women to do that and um, just having the education behind it to, um, you know, promote it, encourage women, and be an advocate for it. Um, he saw something that said that you didn't have to go through a process and uh, receive certification, but I read differently. And so I was wondering if you all could clarify that. Um, and just to all the listeners out there, if you know a breastfeeding mom, encourage her. And if you don't have any constructive criticism or any education, you might want to just kind of be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so... What did you want me to clarify again? I'm sorry. But what okay. kind of training do you oh, have to have? Okay, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, so with the IBCLC, it's a mouthful, but um, with that, you do have to have, um, I think in the past it was a 1,000 hours worth of um, supervised practice. Um, you had to have so many hours of continuing education. Um, so it, it's honestly a very rigorous process. Um, there's also another one called CLC, and that is Certified Lactation Counselor. 
that one, um, I, I think a, a lot of people in the state recently with the pig push for breastfeeding, maybe 2016, 17, a lot of um, area like health um promotion, um, different public health um, advisors did that. Um, and I believe it was like a three or four day course in addition to maybe a test afterwards. So there are a, a few different avenues to take. Um, the, go ahead. I was going to say, and then there's the La Leche League, mm-hmm. um, which is a national or maybe even international organization, right. but they have local chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a chapter for Mississippi, right. just like there is probably for every state or mm-hmm. even bigger states. They probably have regional ones. Right. And you can get it really involved in that, depending on how how much you want to be involved in that. Right. Um, it's a great program, and oh. I don't. And that would be a great way to support other breastfeeding moms. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you have to go through a lot of training for that, but just being involved in that group, you can reach out to people and help people through that right. way. So. If you got involved through that, I don't think you would have to do as much training right. just because you would just be like me reaching out to Marcy, you mm-hmm. know, as a friend. Right. Um, it's a great program, too. They have a lot of really great resources on their national website. Or like you said, it might be international. Um, but their Facebook group, Leche League of Central Mississippi, I think it's called, is very active. Um, and there's also the WIC program. So that's a supplemental program through the Department mm-hmm. of Health. They have something called Peer Counselors as well. And they um, they can be very helpful for moms as well after they leave the hospital. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, thank you so much yeah. um, for the information, and I've enjoyed the program. Yeah, and kudos to you Yeah, yeah. to breastfeeding. Uh-huh. Thank you for your call. Um, and then we'll go next to Amanda in Tupelo. Good morning, Amanda. Hello. Hey, what's going on this morning? Hi. Um, I was wondering if Marcy can just give some ideas of what she would do and how people can support women who have an idea of the frequency that they should be nursing a newborn versus the frequency it actually ends up being. I think there's a lot of discrepancy in, you know, expectation and um, what people are, what mothers are being told about schedules versus the reality of the demand of frequency, <laughs> yes, if that makes sense, and maybe normal, and uh, if she can touch on cluster feeding, and that um, you know each baby is different, and some really do nurse every fifteen minutes <laughs> versus yes. anything else you're told. So right. just to touch on that and how how she would support and kind of normalize that, even though it can be very demanding on right. parents. So. Right. Yes. No. You're very right. So. Um, that is one thing with, with breastfeeding. That's not the only thing that can make it more difficult sometimes. But um, like we mentioned earlier, the components on the infant's gut are so um, easy to digest. It, it kind of goes through the baby a lot quicker. So um, as far as formula-fed babies, they usually eat a little bit less often. And breastfed babies can eat, like you mentioned, in clusters, which is where they want to eat every um, 15, 20 minutes for a few hours. So that can be um, not on mom's schedule for sure. So a lot of times we tell the moms once baby's born, baby's the boss now, you know, based on the baby's feeding cues. Um, they can also want to nurse a lot more at night than they do during the day. Um, we really push for following um, baby's feeding cues instead of setting a schedule, especially in the first few months. 
Um, so I know that can be um, very daunting to new moms. They're already, especially, I guess, with the first baby, you're trying to figure out how to um, keep everything going. And if the baby's wanting to feed every so many minutes or hours, you know, that can be very, very daunting for sure. Um, just like when Dan called earlier, a support person is very, very important in that instance. Um, also just letting a mom know that, um, we really think a minimum of, of feeding, you know, 10 to 12 times a day with an exclusively breastfeeding, um, infant, especially, like I said, in the first couple of months can be, can be very normal. It doesn't, we get questions all the time. My baby wants to eat all the time. What's wrong with her? And that's, nothing's wrong with her. That's just the way that babies are made in the, in the beginning. Um, so hopefully just giving her that, um, reassurance that, that nothing's wrong, telling her what to look for, um, as far as baby looking satisfied, um, plenty of wet and dirty diapers, um, attending those pediatrician appointments to have baby weighed. So, um, Yes, a lot of times babies can want to eat very, very often. And like I said, especially it seems to happen at night mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> and it always happens, I feel like, that second night home. Mm-hmm. It's always like the first night home, it goes pretty smooth for everybody. Well, I mean, for the most part. Right. But it's kind of like that second and third night. It's like they kind of wake up a little bit more mm-hmm. and they just want to eat constantly. Yeah. And it can be very overwhelming and I think that's kind of when people start freaking out, like, right. what am I doing wrong? Right. Because why are they wanting to eat so much? Um, and it's, like you said, it's just the baby trying to figure everything out. Right. But that's when I feel like we get a lot of calls, too. Or um, we'll talk to parents when they come for their two-week checkup, and it's usually sometime around that, like, week mark that, well, we ended up starting formula just because I couldn't keep up with it. And that's not necessarily the case Um, with the cluster feedings. You know, a a lot of moms worry that they're not giving them enough, and that's why they want to eat all the time. But that's honestly just normal baby behavior. Like I mean, I think we just moms don't know that when they deliver. They don't realize because sometimes I think they're even shocked when we say you know, if, if they're formula feeding, you know, every three to four hours, you know, and they think that often, you know, so mm-hmm. breastfeeding babies can be a lot more often than that. So just reassuring them that this is normal. Um, whatever your schedule was before, kind of throw that out the window for a little while. Baby's in charge now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for your call, Amanda. We appreciate you bringing up those topics. Thanks. Bye. And, um, one other thing, now I just lost my train of thought, what I was about to say about that. Oh, I was going to say, when she, one of the things she mentioned, too, was, like, how much, you know, in that breastfed babies. Because I feel like a lot of times breastfed babies, moms compare their friends to their babies that are in formula. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times babies are going to be taking, like, four to six ounces of formula. So mom feels like they've got to produce four to six ounces of breast milk because that's what their friend's baby that's keep, you know, take at the same age is right. taking. But honestly, that's not the case. Typically, most women's breast milk, correct me if I'm wrong, dietitian, but most women's breast milk are more calorically dense, Mm -hmm. and so they actually tend to have a little bit more calories than a typical formula would. And so with that, most breastfed babies honestly don't need as much in a bottle. Like if you're pumping to go, you know, to take the baby to daycare, typically they don't need as much as a formula-fed baby. Um, And so that's another thing I feel like 
a lot of times there's a big discrepancy in that with women don't feel like they can keep up with what their baby needs because they're so comparing to formula fed babies, which is completely different. Right. And then also I think it's hard sometimes when a mom wants to measure everything. Yes. If you're direct breastfeeding, you can't really measure, obviously. So I think some people have a hard time with that. So they want to pump to see but a baby can actually remove milk way better than a pump can in most instances. So if you pump and measure, it may not really be a good indication of how much your baby gets during a nursing session. Yeah. I was that kind of like crazy mom that would um, (laughs) weigh my baby before feed her and then weigh her afterwards. So I could know exactly about how much she was because I was just that kind of, uh, kind of drives you mad. Yeah, yeah, I know, you know, but it is what it is. It was my first baby. Hopefully won't be like that next time. (laughs) We have been talking today with Marcy Talbot, who is a board certified lactation consultant. And we have been talking about breastfeeding, the benefits of breastfeeding and, um, some of the complications that come up with breastfeeding. We're about to get into that in the little bit of time we have left. And I want Marcy to make sure she gives some of those resources out there for women so that if you are trying to breastfeed now and you're struggling some, or maybe you have a friend or a family member, um, we have some resources for you. So stay tuned and we're going to get those out for you. But we've had some great calls and discussion and we've got some open phone lines. So Real quick, we want to talk about the benefits to the mom because we've talked about the benefits to baby, which are very important. But, you know, we can't forget about mom, too. And it ha- it is beneficial to the mom because some of the hormones that are released, particularly oxytocin that is released <clears throat> as you're breastfeeding your baby, um, can help contract the uterus. So after you have the baby, um, one of the things that they do is, I mean, one of the things as the uterus shrinks back up, it helps kind of speed that process mm-hmm. up for moms. Um, and then there is always the bonding component. Um, which is definitely uh, one of the biggest reasons I think if you breastfeed your baby, why it's so hard to stop and to start that wean because you do have that bonding time. That's only something that the mom can do. And so it's just something special between the mom and the baby. Um, But like we've talked about, there's lots of hurdles. And one of the biggest ones is postpartum depression. But we've got some callers on the line. So I'm going to run to the callers and then we'll we'll get back to postpartum depression too because I want to make sure we talk about that. But first we'll go to Penny in Gulfport. Good morning, Penny. Hey, how are you this morning? Good. What's going on? Good. Um, I just wanted to call. I've been in and out of my car, so I don't know if you really addressed this, but uh, 35 years ago, almost, I was a working mother and a new mother who was breastfeeding and about to go back to work. And, and um, you know, I was I, I thought about quitting because I knew that it was going to be difficult, but I had a lot of support at work and it, everything worked out fine. I'm afraid a lot of mothers give up thinking that, you know, why should I start something I'm going to have to stop in, you know, six or eight weeks. But right. it was wonderful, and, and I had some issues with um, with my first child with having enough milk and had to use actually an SNS supplemental nutrition system. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it worked out that well. It can be very I difficult, had... so I'm glad that worked for yeah. you. Yeah, that's great. It did, and it was something that was very, um, it, it still gave me the closeness of nursing, and she still got the the breast milk, but there was just a little bit of formula that she got to you know, to help me build my milk. So she, as she nursed, she helped me build my milk. Right. So, so an SNS system, for those that don't know, it's like a, 
It has like a reservoir where you can put either breast milk or formula and a tube that goes to the mom's breast. So when baby latches, they can get some extra in case you have some issues with milk supply. So you still get that bonding experience. And it also can increase mom's supply because she's getting that stimulation from Mm -hmm. actually putting infant to breast. So it's almost like you need three or four hands the first few times. But after that, um, I think it gets a little bit better. So that's great, Penny. Um, Mississippi actually has a law in place for working moms. And so um, I I can't remember the exact parameters, but um, certain size. um, 50 or more employees. They're supposed to provide um, a lactation space and then also um, um, reasonable breaks. So that's something I think went into effect 2009, 10, somewhere around there. Um, And so that that is in place in the the state. and then I don't know if anyone's traveled recently, but a lot of airports, I was just somewhere a few weeks ago, they have like breastfeeding pods. So um, it's kind of getting more, I guess, in vogue maybe. <laughs> so um, that that's great that, that you had that support, you know, 35 years ago. And now they have all of the like wearable pumps uh-huh. that, I mean. You can continue being productive at yeah, work while you're have, producing milk. I have milk. a couple of colleagues that wear their pumps uh-huh. and will still go see patients. Right. And they're so quiet. Nobody even knows. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you know, if you've ever used a breast pump out there, you know it's not quiet. It's very loud. Right. Um, but these <laughs> new ones that they have, you can actually wear them, and they're, like, quiet. Mm-hmm. And people will go in and see patients, and nobody even knows they're wearing them. Right. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Technology, just in the past, like, few years, has really taken off with that yeah yeah and i was i uh, ended up renting one of the hospital grade pumps because Uh the ones that you could buy in the store were very weak right and so i had that i rented it and uh used the uh the double you know double double side where you could pump both sides at the same time Mm -hmm. and you know i could still sit and type and do whatever i needed to do at the computer (laughs) yeah well thanks for calling penny we appreciate it uh, we'll okay. go next. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Uh, we'll go next to Michael in Texas. What's going on, Michael? Yes, uh, wonderful story, important information. Thank you all for being providers. This is very important. I have a question regarding genetics, essentially. Thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of years ago, if a woman could not produce enough milk, probably her infant or offspring did not survive and pass those genes on. So we had a genetic selectivity when we could produce more milk. I wonder, I'm concerned if our species, now that we have formula for decades and decades or more, we have formula and availability of formula, is this something that changes between continents like in Africa or poorer countries who don't have formula versus First Nation countries like Europe and the U.S. who can get formula if they cannot produce milk? How long would it take our species to get to a point where we could not carry ourselves in the future without formula. It's something to think about, I guess. I'm, I'm just wondering if the doctors have any input on that. Um, well, you stumped me, Michael. I'm not really <laughs> sure about that, but I mean, I think that's you, something important to think about. I yeah, guess. I mean, yeah. I think you bring up a good point, and that's kind of one of our callers earlier had talked about. Um, nursemaids or wet maids, I think is what they used to be called, because um, there were some women that just couldn't do it Mm -hmm. um, and had difficulties. And that's when you had those wet maids come in and the nursemaids come in to help out. Um, And it was definitely a community thing. Um, Feeding feeding children was not just, I mean, it was mostly on the mother, but the community also would step in if they needed to. And that was just a normal thing back then. Um, But I mean, I, I think you bring up a good thought um i don't i honestly i don't know i'd have to look into some of that some of that to get a little more details but um you definitely bring up a good point because we do 
have a formula such readily available that it is a lot easier for women in developed countries to push aside breastfeeding and just go to the formula because we have that as opposed to, like you said, Africa, who doesn't have that option. Um, so, I mean, you bring up a great topic. I just don't know that I have a great answer for your question. Um, but thanks for calling and bringing that up. And that's part of the reason why we wanted to talk about this today, because it is so important to just try not to give up if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're, I, here I sit and I had to stop breastfeeding um, because we had a lot of difficulties, mostly with my child's stomach and issues with GI system. Um, but it doesn't work for everybody. Right. And But we hope we can combat ways and uh, give you some resources to help you to where you don't have to jump straight to formula. Right. All right, we got, we'll go next to, and I, I'm sorry, I'm probably not going to say your name correctly. Sabira, is that correct? Uh, yes. Okay. It's Sabira. Sabira. Okay, well, thanks yes, for calling this morning. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this program. I caught the tail end of it, and I was just wondering uh, if there is an increase in awareness in Mississippi in general to breastfeeding, and are there support systems in place to encourage more women to breastfeed? Um, I'm not sure. I uh, have a background in nursing, and that was one of the areas I worked in, the intensive care nursery. And uh, we, we did have access to uh, uh, milk banks for some of the preemies. But I, I'm just curious to how the state of Mississippi shapes up as far as more women wanting to breastfeed and also being supported in doing so. Right. That's, um, there has been a big push recently. Um, I think, as we see, it's, it's more and more important, and we have, you know, our population tends to be very sick compared to some other states. So I think a lot of um, grants and stuff have been written here. So we actually have the Mississippi Breastfeeding Coalition. Um, that's a great way to find support um, in different areas throughout the state. Um, and that's um, a group of people that really um, push for, um, you know, making breastfeeding more prevalent, um, supporting those moms. Um, like you mentioned, there we do have a milk bank in town, the Miss- Mother's Milk Bank of Mississippi. Um, our WIC program is actually um, really pro-breastfeeding. A lot of people think of WIC and only think of formula, but um, moms can get hospital-grade pumps during the WIC program. They can have um, what we call peer counselors. That's someone that can come pre-COVID into their home and help them breastfeed. Um, now they do a lot via Zoom. Um, there's a couple of different lactation physicians in town as well. Um, pre-COVID, we had something called the Baby Sips Cafe in Jackson, and that was a great way for moms to come and support one another. Um, I'm not sure since COVID if that is still in place, but they were popping up all over the state. There's quite a few in the Delta um, as well. So um, that that was going really well um, until 2020, and I'm not really sure exactly what's happened since then, but there has been a big mm-hmm. push um, in Mississippi for, for supporting breastfeeding moms, getting them more education, providing different resources for them. Well, that's great. That's great. And um, thank you so much for bringing this topic to the, the public arena. 
Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for your call. <clears throat> and what was the um, Texas Tech resource you were telling yeah, me so about? It's called Infant Risk um, Center Hotline, and it's um, done through Texas Tech, but it's a way for you to call about if you have any questions about medications and breastfeeding your infant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's another resource mm-hmm. out there for you yeah. <clears throat> that you can you can access as a mom, too. If there's a medicine that you're hesitant about taking, you can always access that, too, mm-hmm. and as well as physicians. So. Um, this has been such a good topic. Yeah. I was kind of worried that nobody would want to call in, but we had such good callers. And I appreciate everybody calling in and and uh, continuing this discussion. And thanks, Marcy, for coming yeah. on with thanks us. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jay, for being our producer. This has uh, been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.